Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the wizarding world. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. Eric isn't here this week, but we are joined by one of our Slug Club members, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Hailing from the Pacific Northwest, you were just telling us about your great forest life. You should call your wooded area the Forbidden Forest. Yeah. Come to think of it. It's a nice idea. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you on here. Can we get your fandom ID so we can learn a little bit about you? Yes, absolutely. So my Hogwarts house is Hufflepuff. Highly identify with that. Um, I have not retaken the new test, uh, but I've taken it twice other times and I always get a Hufflepuff, so hopefully. Um, <laughs> my Ilvermorny house is Thunderbird. My favorite book is probably book three. And my favorite movie is maybe movie four or one because one is so nostalgic but yeah. i think four i just really liked seeing a lot of the the other schools and how they decided to portray them i think it's really cool um my patronus is a porpoise and a porpoise what a fun word i know and it's not even dolphin or anything it's a porpoise <laughs> um it's really cute what it would like bound around the screen because it actually looked like it was like diving in the water that's <laughs> a cute one um and then uh, my favorite Goblet of Fire character um, is probably Winky. I just found her Aww. so interesting to read and adorable, and she had sort of a lot going on. It was very different than a lot of the other any of the other characters really we'd ever read. Yeah. So the reason we asked you that question is because we are going to review the Goblet of Fire Illustrated Edition, which came out just a few days ago. So welcome to the show, and thanks for your support. Yeah, thanks you guys. And we will also do chapter by chapter. For Order of the Phoenix. So covering two books today. Big episode. Yeah. But first, Micah, you just got back from LeakyCon, right? Yeah. Eric and I were in Boston last weekend for LeakyCon. They were celebrating their 10-year anniversary. It's where it all started in Boston. And we had a really great time. Uh, We did a bonus muggle cast, actually. We were talking before the recording. Andrew, you asked me, how could it possibly be 45 minutes long. And I said, well, I was recording with Eric. So there you go. (laughs) But uh, no, in all seriousness, there was a lot to talk about. Uh, We did three really great panels uh, together. And then Eric did an additional one with his uh, buddies over at Hogwarts Radio. And uh, it it was just a a lot of fun Uh, for, for listeners who I think maybe joined in the last couple of years. They don't know necessarily of the playful rivalry that we have with Pottercast, uh, which is led by Melissa Nelly, who is also responsible for LeakyCon. And uh, the first day we did kind of this retrospective panel looking back on podcasting. And there were also two other podcasts that were on that panel, Mike from Potterless. And if you don't know about Potterless, he had started this podcast having never read the Potter series before. So people were kind of going along on the ride with him. And then uh, also, Ariana and Vanessa from Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which I think is is pretty self-explanatory in terms of what they do and comparing the Potter series to different um, sacred texts. So uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Saturday, we played this game against Pottercast. And uh, Andrew, you were uh, notably absent. Uh, John Noe uh, called you out uh, for not being there. <laughs> He'll live. And uh, you honestly put us at a disadvantage, uh, to be quite honest, because they have three, all three of their hosts were there. And then 
you know, also Laura, I'm going to put some blame on you here as well. Uh, <laughs> Why? You, you, you could have been there too. Um, no, I couldn't. I had a okay. wedding last weekend. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a better excuse than whatever Andrew is going to come up with. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we played three games. We played uh, Heads Up, which was really cool because the audience could also see the the character's name. Um, and then we played Family Feud, and then Fishbowl. And and with Fishbowl, you have to pick from two different bowls. And one of the categories was related to Harry Potter. The other category was just completely random, and you had to create a three minute podcast on the spot improvise about whatever the two topics were that you pulled. And uh, we were very lucky uh, to get um, Louis Cordice, who played Blaise Zabini in the the Potter films. He joined us for two of the games. And another one, we had an audience member come on and join us. Okay. So what do you need uh, us for? You have Harry Potter movie stars joining you. Woe is you. Really quick. (laughs) He was great at the improv. However, the first game that we played, Let's just say his knowledge of the Potter series and their characters is somewhat lacking. Uh, he brought – now, a quick story. He brought a balloon onto the stage at the very beginning of the game. I think it was it was left over from like the Wizard Rock concert the, the night before. It was a yellow balloon and he brought it on stage with him. And as he was departing after that first round of games, Chris Rankin, who was hosting this, turned to him and said – I think the balloon would have done a better job. <laughs> oh so my god. It was a little tense. Um I, I I gotta say I don't blame some of these actors though. They just don't live and breathe Harry Potter. They came in to shoot the movies and that was it. So yeah. it's a little awkward when they go to these Harry Potter conferences because they don't know their stuff and everybody expects them to. So I don't I don't blame that actor, <laughs> but maybe he should brush up a little more before his yeah. next Harry Potter convention. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday, we did our live show with Chris Rankin, who played Percy Weasley in the Potter films. And that episode is available uh, for people to listen to. A lot of fun. We just uh, really enjoyed ourselves. And of course, our Bubblecast meetup on Saturday night at uh, Hopster's Brewery in Boston. And we had probably close to 35 people show up. So it was wow, really nice. cool getting fun. to meet all these listeners. Good. Good stuff. Glad you guys had a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So moving on, let's talk about the Goblet of Fire Illustrated Edition. This has been the Illustrated Edition books have been one of our favorite parts of the franchise in recent years. The books are just so good. They are illustrated by Jim Kay. Um, they were coming out yearly. And then he needed more time for Goblet of Fire. So there was a two-year gap between Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire. And it looks like that's going to be the case for for Order of the Phoenix as well. So I actually want to start with Laura's thoughts on this book. Because believe it or not, dear listeners, this <laughs> is her first illustrated edition. Yep. I'm getting called out twice in one episode. <laughs> <laughs> What's your excuse, Laura? Did you have weddings when the first three illustrated editions came out (laughs) on all three of those release dates i had weddings i had to be at and i just couldn't recover (laughs) no i i think the thing is i to be honest had not really paid attention Mm -hmm. to the illustrated editions i heard great things about them 
But I also have my like ratty old copies of Harry Potter that I go back to. And, and to me, they're like a great sense of comfort Yeah, um, that they provide for me. So I guess I never thought about the illustrated editions as being able to like supplement that. I was wrong. I got <laughs> No, it's my, understandable. Yeah, I got my Goblet of Fire illustrated edition like a couple days after it released because Andrew messaged me and was like, hey, you need to order this for the show. And I did, and I'm really glad I did. It's gorgeous. Um, I think what strikes me about it is I I appreciate that uh, Jim Kay doesn't seem to be overly influenced by the films. Yes. yes. I don't know if he's watched the films or if he's like specifically opted not to. Um, but I really feel like when I'm studying these this artwork – it's clear to me that it is based on the text and not on Hollywood. Yeah. Because um, there are certain things he gets right, like Hermione's buck teeth. Yes. He gets those oh, right. Oh, I didn't notice those. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Hermione like, oh. is the best. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God, he actually gets her right. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that we get a Ginny portrait. I figure Eric was over the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Is this a good time to go into like my favorite part? <laughs> I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I particularly loved the depictions of the three tasks Mm. in this. These were just stunning full page, multi page sections where you're seeing all the different dragons. They even had a page where there was like a comparative chart of each of the dragons, which was really cool. Um, Also loved everything under the lake during the second task and seeing the mermaids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, the third task. It's just I think that was really I don't want to use the word task, but it was probably quite a task (laughs) to portray that accurately Mm -hmm. because it is such like a bombastic climactic moment of the book. But I really think that he did it justice. Yeah, I'm really pleased with it. Yeah. Good. I'm. I'm glad. I'm glad you like it so much. I know one of your he- hesitations as well was you had said to me, "I thought this was going to be a lot more expensive." <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, anytime you think about an illustrated edition of a very iconic novel, I was imagining this was going to be like a hundred dollars or something. Yeah. And I was like, ah. Yeah, and they're bigger physically. The and usually, bigger books are more expensive. I right. Feel. No, this was super affordable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, Micah, I think you wrote this question down in our doc. How does it compare to the previous three? And I'm not sure I have an answer for that. It's it's more of the same, and the same is very, very good. So, it's heavier. <laughs> I, what'd you say? I said it's heavier. <laughs> it's, it's How does it compare? It's the heaviest one yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. But, I mean, it it's also just so beautiful. I love the full-page illustrations. Some of them, you just turn the page and you and you get hit with this. And mm-hmm. it just takes your breath away. Um, mm-hmm. There's also illustrations that take up two pages. There's an incredible scene from the first task on page 230. It's just engulfed. The entire two pages are engulfed in flames. Mm-hmm. And you see, you see Harry on his broom. It's just striking. Yeah. What do you think, Micah? Well, I probably put that question in before I got a chance to sit down and take a look at the illustrated edition. I, it's probably not even fair to compare them from one book to the next because i think the task just gets that much more daunting for jim k from one book to the next to the next especially as they get larger so i think he did a 
amazing job. And I'm sure there are things that are on the cutting room floor that maybe somewhere down the line we would get the opportunity to see. But when we got that initial review, it, it just seemed like maybe some things were not as good as as previous books. And, and maybe that's what prompted me to put that question in there. But I didn't really even notice going through where there was chapter art that may have been missing, maybe in the middle, uh, a couple of chapters, there there was just pages of text. But overall, I, I was really, really impressed with this book. And, and my favorite illustration actually was Dumbledore taking Harry's name out of the Goblet of Fire Ooh, or yeah. when, when yeah. it gets shot into the air. It, it was just really, really well done. I, I also really liked a lot of these characters, which we have listed here, just the depictions of, of each of and them. He, I thought Rita Skeeter was really cool. Yeah. Um, Crumb really shocked me. He was hilarious. He does. He looks nothing like he does in the movie. I was like, wait, what character is this? He's super skinny. He's got dark black hair. It's falling over his eyes. He looks like an emo punk. He looks like... <laughs> A Twilight character plus totally a Twilight. character from Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah, he's like he's freaky. like an Edward Ramsey. There you go. <laughs> wow. That's a great depiction. But then who is it that's in the poster? Is that another one of the Bulgarian Quidditch players? Because those two people... It looks like him. They look a little different. Yeah, I think it's like his his angle. <laughs> the mm. hair is more obvious in some of them because he, he you see him again on like 197 and then again at the Yule Ball in 262. And his hair is kind of the same, mm. but you can tell it sort of depends on how they have his like body shifted of how yeah. <laughs> how emo his hair gets. <laughs> yeah. And then Cedric, he has an incredibly sharp jawline. Oh, yeah. Like, he almost looks emaciated. Um, I guess he's supposed to look like extremely attractive. To me, it's like, whoa, he's way too bony for my tastes. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so he was kind of surprising as well. Um, you may have noticed on page 36, and this is the only Easter egg I'm aware of. If anybody else knows of others, I would love to hear about them. But on page 36, sorry, I have to like move past my mic to look at the book. Because it's, <laughs> it's quite hard doing this with a mic in your face. Um, but on page 36, there's a reference to J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, in Ron's room, you can see on the spine of one of the books, J.R.R. Tolkien's crest, I guess you would call that. Plus, he's also got, um, Quidditch Through the Ages sitting there, and an Ordinary of Arms sitting there, too. Um, just a bunch of different books. It looks like a book from Newt Scamander as well. Presumably Fantastic Beasts. And then this a snitch in time just makes me think of a wrinkle in time because that's what book I would have up yeah. on the back of my shelf. I just noticed he has a toy Ford Anglia on his shelf as well. Oh my god, Why cute! Would he have that <laughs> and a Hogwarts snow globe. So a lot of different things. Ginny finally appeared. I know Eric already made that Ginny art his iPhone wallpaper. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> she's beautiful in that picture too. He did a great job. Yeah. I'm guessing he's probably going to reach out to Jim K and uh, see if he can get an original art print for his apartment and have Jim sign it and go through the whole thing. <laughs> have Bonnie but, Wright sign it. <laughs> yeah, well. Why not? <laughs> the other thing I really did like about this book was just 
the fact of him bringing to life some of the characters that you otherwise maybe wouldn't have seen, especially in the movies, right? We don't have Ludo Bagman. And I noted that Ludo Bagman looks like a drunk Arthur Weasley who dressed up like a Hufflepuff for Halloween. (laughs) That's pretty accurate. Yeah, Yeah. accurate. (laughs) And uh, also Hassan Mustafa, who's the referee of the Quidditch World Cup, probably never would have thought about him actually getting any sort of art in in any book and yet he's there yeah so i i just like the fact that there's a little bit more obscure characters that are brought to life in in this book and it really enhances jk rowling's story i know a lot of people critiqued the movies especially the later ones because they kind of felt like they were getting away from the magic the the whimsicalness of it all so to speak and this, by featuring characters like this referee or Ludo Bagman, we finally get to appreciate every single character in J.K. Rowling's world. And maybe he is looking at the movies and being like, hey, they didn't feature Ludo Bagman. They didn't feature Hassan. They didn't feature uh, the blasted Scrooge, who makes an appearance in this book as well. Maybe this is my chance to, to show these characters off. Another character who really shocked me was Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looks nothing <laughs> like he does in the movie. And yeah, he is scary. Well, he's he's much closer to the actual character description in the book. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what also makes the illustrated edition so good. Yes. It's loyal to J.K. Rowling's writing. Well, same with the mm-hmm. Voldemort before he was revived. His little mm-hmm. red monster babyness oh. is very different of how they decided to do it. Um but is just how the text, like that's exactly what you would see in your head if you're reading the text. Yeah. And speaking of Voldemort, um, what I appreciated about this was I didn't feel like Jim K relied too much on like serpentine characteristics to portray Voldemort. I Mm -hmm. mean, certainly he has some of that going on, but my big critique of the movies, especially of Goblet of Fire was it felt like Ray Fiennes was trying to move like a snake Hmm. throughout that whole graveyard scene. And it really took me out of it because he was like sticking his tongue out and like waggling it around (laughs) and almost like dancing throughout his his routine. It was it really took me out of the moment because that's not how I read it in the book. Maybe other people on the panel have different interpretations of it, but I felt like, again, this was an area where he really let the text lead him Yeah. in terms of how he portrayed Voldemort, and I really appreciated that. I agree with that completely. The red Voldemort baby, unreal. Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> like, so wow. Gross. <laughs> I think I gasped when I saw that in this book. Yeah, it's super creepy. Yeah. It, it reminded me of uh, the Kappa from... Fantastic Beasts mm. or Crimes of Grindelwald, you get like a very, very brief shot of the Kappa coming out of the water in the in Circus Arcanus. And it just that's what it made me think of, quite honestly. Yeah. And uh once again, Jim Kay will sometimes put text over top illustrations, which is really cool. Like, for example, they I guess I don't know if this was J- Jim Kay exactly, it may have been somebody else who worked on the book with him. But they put text, J.K. Rowling's text, within the pensive, for example. That was a super cool page. There's another page, 396, 397, where Voldemort's eyes are poking through the text. Yes. 
Oh, it's just so cool. And then, of course, the battle at the end, uh, it takes up six pages. The first two pages are Voldemort casting his spell. The next two pages are all of the wand's memories, because this is Priori and Contatum. And the next two pages are Harry's side of the duel. So it's this beautiful six-page spread that emphasizes just how important this duel is. They're gorgeous. The lightning in that one panel is just so pretty. Yeah, yeah. I really liked the arrival of both of the schools. They each got a full page. Well, one is, I think, the maybe the exit of the Durmstrang. But you got to see you know, their whole ship. And then the arrival of the um, Bobatons with all the their horses and flying over and like it's, it's just it's very active and it looks almost 3d mm. um coming towards you and the color scheme is just like so pretty like their horses are beautiful yeah and then to think oh you know they drink single malt whiskey i just think that's so funny yeah so that's my favorite illustration i think that's on page 156 157 anything else that stood out to y'all i wanted to call out that um jim k dedicated the book to um, his departed family dog. I Aww. saw that. I saw that, and I was like, "Oh!" And then he drew her in, so she's on I that know. on that dedication page. Oh, it's that's so, so sweet. Cute. She's precious. Yeah. It's pretty cool to be able to share a dedication page with J.K. Rowling. Yeah, pretty dope. Yeah, that's that's definitely a career moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing J.K. Rowling had to approve that, but given her affinity for animals, I'm guessing it was a pretty quick approval. Right. Was there a dog at the fairground? I was wondering, no, honestly, I didn't catch that. So I'm glad, Laura, you just mentioned that because I was wondering what is this dog doing just kind of sitting on the stump <laughs> at the Triwizard Tournament? Or the uh, so Quidditch World Cup. Quidditch World Cup. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. J.K. Rowling, is that canon? Please tell us. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is cool. That is cool. All right. Those are our thoughts on Goblet of Fire Illustrated Edition. It comes out this time of year for a reason, for the holidays. <laughs> Put it on your wish list if you don't want to buy it ahead of time, if you can wait a little while. It really is fantastic. We all love the Illustrated Edition so much. Like I said, we probably have another two years to wait before mm-hmm. we get Order of the Phoenix Illustrated. Um, maybe four years because Eric thinks that it's going to be two separate books. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be no um but next year i think we're going to get quidditch through the ages illustrated edition because they released fantastic beast they released uh beetle the bard so they're putting in these smaller books in these off years uh, while jim k works on the harry potter series itself and these other ones have not been done by jim k they've been done by other people which has been cool to get different um artistic takes on jk rowling's writing Before we get to Muggle Mail, it's time for a word from this week's sponsor, Your Super. They are on a mission to improve people's health with the power of super plants. Your Super's functional superfood and plant protein mixes are made from naturally dried organic whole foods, nothing else. These are fruits, vegetables, seeds, grasses, or leaves that are extremely high in a variety of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, enzymes, and healthy fats. These nutrients are all essential for your health and well-being. In fact, Your Super was started when one of the co-founders, Michael, was diagnosed with cancer. 
his wife Crystal started making superfood mixes to help him rebuild his immune system. And when they saw the impact superfood mixes had made in improving Michael's health, they decided to share these formulas with the world. These, of course, are for anyone who just wants to feel healthier and have more energy during the day. I picked the Chocolate Lover Protein. I can add it to my daily breakfast. It is a delicious yet super healthy way to start the day. Plus, I love chocolate, so it's perfect. And I feel good about your super because they have a transparent supply chain. I want to know what I'm putting in my body, especially when it comes to something that's claiming to be nutritious. Get the cleanest superfood and plant protein mixes at yoursuper.com. That's Y-O-U-R super.com. Get 15% off your order when you use code MuggleCast at checkout. Just go to yoursuper.com and don't forget to get 15% off with promo code MuggleCast at checkout. Thank you, your super. All right, time now for some muggle mail. We got a voice memo from one of our listeners who had some interesting thoughts on Sirius. Hey, Muggle Cash, Shelby from North Carolina here. So I just had a couple thoughts that I wanted to share about the last episode in terms of how we really view Sirius at this point. You guys talked a bit about how he's not really acting as the most ideal father figure here, but I don't think that that's necessarily all his fault. We see in Goblet of Fire that he really is very parental with Harry. He is riding him throughout the year. He comes back to England. He's in Hogsmeade. Whenever Harry has a problem, Sirius is there with some very solid advice. Whenever Harry gets back from the graveyard, Sirius is right there. He's with him the entire time as he is relaying the story to Dumbledore. And it's just very parental. So in terms of who Harry's parental figures are, I think we do have to take into consideration what James and Lily wanted. They know who Sirius is. They could have chosen Remus. It's a good thing they didn't, but they didn't choose Peter. They chose Sirius. And I think that deep down he really does have Godfather material. It's just, I mean, he's regressing back to possibly some adolescent stages. You know how some people, when they come back to their parents' house, they kind of act the same way that they acted when they were in high school? I think we are starting to see an appearance of what perhaps Sirius was like as a teenager. Though I do think this helps make him and Harry kindred spirits because the key thing that Harry and Sirius really share is that they have both been deprived of something. Harry has been deprived of having a normal life with his parents and Sirius has missed out on his entire young adult life. He literally spent a third of it in Azkaban. And think of all the maturing that you go through during that time, which you guys touched on a little bit. Anyway, thank you guys so much for everything you do. Love the show. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Shelby. Yeah. I know I was kind of hard on Sirius a couple of weeks ago, so wanted to get that feedback in there. Well, I think that it's right to say that at this point in his character arc, he's maybe not the best parental figure for Harry, but Shelby's right. There are a number of cases um, between books three and five where Sirius does step up to the plate and behave in an appropriate way. So just yeah. good to remember Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also think it's unfair to compare him to Molly Weasley, especially given that she's raised seven kids. Not to say that she's always right in the way that she approaches Harry, but I think if if that's the comparison we're making, we just need to be mindful of the fact that she's, she's had a whole wealth of experience in terms of raising children. Mm-hmm. Right. And she also didn't experience the same kind of trauma that, you know, Sirius has very recently experienced. 
And, you know, people are very different humans after they experience trauma. And it takes a long time to heal from something obviously as traumatic as being in Azkaban for a long time. So I think that when we see him here, um, you know, I really liked her point about being in your parents' house kind of makes you feel that way. But I think it also kind of reminds him a little bit of just so much of what had already happened that it might be a little, I don't know, triggering um, Mm -hmm. of, you know, the trauma that he's trying to process and heal from. Next email comes from Shannon, who said, Hey guys, I was just listening to your discussion on chapter four with all caps Harry and wanted to add a couple of pop culture references I kept thinking about. In response to Andrew's question of how do you hear the scene playing out, I always see Darren Chris's version of Harry in a very Potter sequel yelling, I'm in a rage. This is the maddest I've ever been. I don't know if that's how he does it, I'm but in a rage. Uh, I don't know how he did it. Yeah. That's now what, uh, Academy Award winning Darren Chris is that or Emmy Award winning? Yeah, he won something, didn't he? One of those. Yeah. Not Academy Award, uh, probably an Emmy. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, my other thought was about why Harry needs to react that way to Ron and Hermione specifically. And it made me think about a quote from the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. I think it's slightly different in the book, but I don't have that handy at the moment. And Google is giving me the movie version. It's quote, maybe sometimes it's easier to be mad at the people you trust. Why? Why is that? Because you know they'll always love you, no matter what. So Harry needed to vent that frustration and anger, and he just happened to come face to face with them first, or second, after Molly. But they're also the two people he trusted most to love him, despite his need to be quite awful to them in those moments. Mm. Anyway, just wanted to throw in my two cents. Thanks for all you do. Yeah, I get that. That's one benefit of having friends sometimes. You can vent to them, and they'll take it and deal with it, because that's what they're there for. And the text shows like Hermione understood that too. You know, she was, they were expecting him to sort of act this way. And, you know, you can tell by um, what JK Rowling wrote, how Hermione is acting and the words that they wrote, that she she gets it. She knows that he's not really mad at them as much as he's just mad and needs to vent to them. Yeah, definitely. The next email comes from Gina. Gina says, hi, BungleCast. I'm writing you all in regards to your conversation about Percy in the last episode. When reading about his row with Mr. Weasley, it made me feel kind of bad for Percy. He's come from a family that has very little money, where he's teased by his siblings for being an overachiever and being different. I kind of can't blame him for wanting success. I always thought Percy was a jerk, but when reading this chapter, my heart was hurting for him. I'd be curious on your thoughts about this and Chris Rankin's. (laughs) Your show has been giving me joy since the start. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Gina. Yeah, look, he's just trying to do what needs to be done to get ahead in his career. I can definitely understand that. He's just in one of those classic rock and the hard places type of situations. It does suck for him because he's young. He's a recent graduate. He's been offered this job that's too good to be true. And I think anybody at that age and at that point in their career is going to be predisposed to to want to think like, oh, yeah, I did this. I got it. I did this because I worked hard. Mm -hmm. But in this case, we know that Fudge is actually taking advantage of him in order to spy on the Weasleys and in turn on Dumbledore. And it just sucks because it puts him in this in this place of like feeling like he's being robbed of his agency so that his boss is spying on his family and not wanting to believe that and also not wanting to believe that this wasn't something that he actually earned. Yeah. So it does suck. It's interesting that Gina brings this up because 
Chris actually spoke about Percy at at length at LeakyCon in a number of different settings, but I think something that he said is is kind of applicable to her comment in that he has a very strong belief that Percy is in fact not as smart as he comes off to be at times in the series, and particularly as it relates to Bill and Charlie, Fred and George. He he, Chris thinks that they're actually more intelligent than Percy is, and that Percy spends so much of his time shut away from everybody else because he feels the need to catch up with them. He needs to be studying and doing all these things. So a lot of the a lot of what we see of him when he does become prefect, when he does become head boy, is you know through a lot of work that he's put in because deep down inside he doesn't feel like he measures up to his brothers. Mm. So interesting. I found that kind of an interesting insight on on the person who played Percy in the in the series. And like the Blaze actor, he knows his character <laughs> in the series clearly. <laughs> well Chris no I mean he's a huge Potter fan. Like he would have Yeah. He would have ensured our win in that game. Um <laughs> <laughs> But I just I just found that kind of very insightful. Hopefully, I did justice to what he said. But uh, yeah, you know, it it is true. We don't see a lot of Percy, or when we do hear about him, he's always kind of shut up in his his room at the burrow, or he's off in the dungeons, uh, or doing different things in you know solitary confinement almost. Uh, so. All right. Well, thanks, everybody who has written in with feedback over the past couple of weeks. We read it all. We can't get it all on air, but we really do appreciate it. And we are trying to reply to more of your emails as they come in. So thank you for doing that. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, don't forget, you can just email mugglecast at gmail.com, send us a voice memo, send us a voicemail, or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. Time now for Chapter by Chapter. This week we are discussing Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 6, The Most Noble and Ancient House of Black. And we'll start with our seven-word summary. Micah, kick it off for us. All right. Creature. Ooh, he already knows his answer. Creature has... The (laughs) foresight. Ooh. Well, crap. (laughs) Two. Hmm. Take. Oh, God. We need one more word. I know. <laughs> just, uh, just say it. Just say How it. Heirlooms. Yes. Heirlooms. Ah, there we go. There you go. Very good. Very good. Nice. So this chapter starts off with everybody heading back up to bed. And I thought that Mrs. Weasley really continues to be in overreaction mode. She's so concerned that Harry and Ron are up talking about what they just learned. And quite honestly, who wouldn't be up talking about what they just learned? I mean, she has to be a little bit less tense. What would they possibly be talking about that would warrant her going up and listening at the door? Right. And what is she going to get out of it by listening in? Is she going to knock down the door and be like, hey, stop talking about that. You can't talk about that. That's not right. It, I, I don't know what her end game is. Well, I think in her defense, these are um, children who, over the course of the last three, three and a half years, 
have gone after Voldemort, have gone after Sirius when they thought he was Voldemort's right-hand man. So she's probably worried that after learning what they've learned, they might be up plotting Mm -hmm. what they're going to do next. And she might be trying to put a stop to that. Yeah, I feel like it's more like that than it is. She doesn't want them like discussing what they just learned as like processing, but more that they're going to start plotting on their own separately because they're not allowed to join the order yet. Do you think if they started planning and Molly overheard this, she would have stepped in, knocked down that door? Probably. Molly. (laughs) I was wondering, though, do you guys do you do you guys have parents who would listen in? On your own conversations as a child? No. Not that I know of. <laughs> Any extendable ears or AirPods being used to listen? Yeah. I don't think so, though. I mean, I grew up in an age, as I think all of us did, where you didn't have cell phones. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when you spoke to somebody, you were talking over like a landline. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if every once in a while my parents would be listening into phone oh, conversations. Yeah. It's just easy. You just pick it up and... Yeah, and yeah, you cover the the mic side of the phone so they can't hear you breathing. Confession time, I right. definitely spied on my parents when they were on the phone. <laughs> Pick oh up the God, landline very know. quietly. And then when I when I set it down, I press the button before putting the phone down so they can't hear it click off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh well, I this makes a lot of sense. Uh I was just gonna say my mom definitely would spy on us. She's the type of person who keeps me and my sister and brothers' exes on Facebook so she can t- keep tabs on them. She's just that kind of person. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Lots of spying going on. <laughs> yeah, if my parents ever spied, they were pretty stealthy about it because... You wouldn't know. I don't remember anything yeah. like that. Or your parents just weren't <laughs> spies and... Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they were large they were pretty big proponents of like everybody's allowed to have secrets and like mm. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, my parents were the same way. And we also only had like one landline phone for a really long time because they didn't want us having one up in our room just because they didn't want us like ringing in the middle of the night when we had telemarketers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And So you'd have to like sneak downstairs if you wanted to use the landline telephone and like sit quietly in the corner of the living room talking so quietly (laughs) so you didn't wake everybody up. So I got my first cell phone when I was 14. I was one of the earlier kids in my high school to get a cell phone. I know now kids get cell phones when they're like eight, but I got this like little Nokia like brick phone. And I used to like go in my closet late at night to get on the phone because if I went in the closet and closed the door, nobody could hear me. So my parents wouldn't like scold me for being up until three in the morning on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) And it was usually with people I met through MuggleNet. So yeah, I use like Yahoo Instant Messenger for that. Yeah. That's because we had a computer in our room. But so, Laura, you saw a parallel uh, between Molly and Umbridge here? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because both Umbridge and Molly are working to try and restrict the flow of information to these underage wizards. I will say it's for very different reasons. Molly is trying to actually protect them, whereas Umbridge is trying to protect the ministry. Mm. But it is interesting to see these two female figures in Harry's life pushing to try and prevent information from reaching him yeah yeah 
Well, and Dumbledore spent the whole beginning trying to prevent any information from reaching him too. Mm-hmm. I know we'll talk more about Dumbledore later, but that's also such a huge sort of parental figure-ish in his life that is trying to keep him out of the loop. You mean double dip? <laughs> yes. he's dipping yeah, he out just on dips him. out on him, <laughs> comes and visits when he's sleeping. I also found it interesting that the only information that's news to anyone except Harry is this weapon that they were talking about at the end of the last chapter. So Fred and George also popped down to Harry and Ron's room <laughs> during this. That was so funny. And yeah, but it's it's a very brief mention, but it's also, I think, made to have readers understand that Harry is still kind of on the outs, despite the fact that he just kind of sat in this information session. Pretty much everything that Ron and Hermione and Fred and George learned wasn't anything new to them because of the extendable years that they had throughout the course of the summer. The only piece that's new is the weapon. So I, I still think if I was Harry, I'd kind of be a little bit uh, upset here that everybody knew a, a lot more than they were letting on. Yeah. So Molly is really trying to keep everybody busy and I think keep them from having these types of conversations amongst themselves. And, and the way that she's doing that is by having them clean out the Black family house. And I really like the fact that it's described as if this house is fighting back and <laughs> and not allowing itself to be cleaned. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very interesting parallel as well because the motto of the Black family uh, is always pure. And the fact that they're trying to cleanse this house, I just thought was was kind of cool the way that it's all being... But I think J.K. Rowling is also talking about how long it's been since it's been cleaned because it's like when you let a pot sit dirty for a really long time, it takes forever to clean it in yeah. some cases. And I think... Well, and if if you don't clean things for a long time, they will literally take on a life of their own. <laughs> like we see here where there's like literally creatures that have taken up residence in all the nooks and crannies of the house that haven't been maintained for so long. Not in my place. I'm a clean freak. <laughs> <laughs> no dust in Andrew's house. No doxies in your curtains or anything, Andrew? No, nope, nothing like that. I just thought it was a kind of a cool parallel that this is a pure blood home and yet they're trying to cleanse it of all the crap that's- The impurities. Kind of piled up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I found it- um, also, I mean, yes, I can see how Molly's having them clean, but like having Sirius do the, I just kept thinking of the Marie Kondo, like tidying up situation <laughs> of how he's like going through each item and like, oh, does this spark joy? Or like, does this trigger me? Like, can I throw it away? Like, whereas it's completely different to, you know, creature. And uh, I just, that's all I could kind of think of. And I, it's probably therapeutic for Sirius because he's been cramped up in here and not allowed to leave anyway. So in order to, you know, do something productive at least he can like sort through and throw out a bunch of stuff that has really bad associations for him which is pretty much everything in the house exactly <laughs> everything yeah. he can remove without being stuck on the walls nothing sparks joy for nope. serious nope. except maybe harry <laughs> so something that i thought was interesting about this whole cleaning sequence is that wand magic doesn't work on doxies hmm. they have to use that special spray Mm. to take care of them and it just got me thinking about pest control in the wizarding world <laughs> and why wand magic that seems to work in countless situations might not work on some of these creatures is there anything in like 
Fantastic Beasts lore that would suggest to us why this is? I don't think so. I can't think of anything. Because, like, I would say 99.9% of the time, wizards can use their wands to take care of a situation. Well, like, when I think about, for instance, the Cornish Pixies from Chamber of Secrets, they're able to stun them in midair. Why can't they do this with the Doxies? Why do they have to spray them with this stuff? Is it because they're all underage and Molly's just trying to level the playing field so that everybody's using the same (laughs) instruments? Or or maybe teaching them the wonders of cleaning supplies. (laughs) When you guys have a house, you'll love these too. It made me nervous that they were using Gilderoy Lockhart's Guide to Household Pests. Ooh, yeah. I was like, oh, like just that they decided to name drop that there. I was like, oh no, is it not going to work? Are they all going to have something terrible happen (laughs) to them? Because I couldn't remember that. They're going to multiply when you spray them. Right, yeah, (laughs) because he's not very good at his information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just think it's also it for us reading it. It's it's just kind of like oh, they they have to kind of get some elbow grease in there too, just like we would if we had to clean our home. It's not all just magic, and everything goes back to you know being nice and pristine and clean. Like they have to get in there, they have to do some work. Yeah, take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also it's noted in this area that. Well, Sirius says that he's got Buckbeak in a room upstairs. And since the first time I've read this, I've always had a very hard time picturing that. Buckbeak is a very large creature. And for him to be in one of these bedrooms at Grimald Place, that poor thing's all cooped up. Maybe it's like one of these new age floor plans. It's like open, got a big old walk-in closet. Love an open floor plan. Me and every person on HGTV's House Hunters. Yeah. But we also got this email from Lindsay that I thought was pretty funny. She said, Sirius is feeding Buckbeak rats. In Goblet of Fire, Sirius gleefully said he himself was sustaining himself on a diet of rats. I guess this is how Sirius fulfills his need for revenge and lives out his fantasy of killing Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Genius. That's really funny. Buckbeak typically eats ferrets, right? But I think rats are probably in greater supply. (laughs) Probably. In yeah, yeah, right. And in this dirty old house. Yeah, it's kind of not a good place for a stoat to hang out. No. no. But I'm I'm now subscribing to this idea that Sirius just wants to feed him rats because he's pretending that they're Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> well, we get a formal introduction to Creature in this chapter, and he's quite the opposite of the other house elves that we've been accustomed to in this series. Dobby is is definitely a other end of the spectrum. Winky is maybe somewhere in between, but I thought it'd be cool to just compare the creature to Dobby and to Winky. It's clear that he is really just not in his right state of mind. And this is actually brought up a couple of times, most notably by Hermione. And uh, I thought that that was rather insightful into Creature as a character saying that he's not of his right mind, given what we know he's been through. Yeah. And that made this whole sequence of Creature in this chapter that much more heartbreaking to read because you know what he's been through. Not only is he suffered the psychological and physical abuses of being a slave, he was also damaged by Regulus Black when he was forced 
to what was it? He wore the locket mm-hmm. and yeah. then also drank potions. So it it really does kind of hurt to read that. You know, of course, when you're reading that the first time, you're like, well, of course, we feel sympathy and a lot of empathy for him because of the situation he's in that he was born into. And this is the only thing he knows. But then you get that added layer of extra level abuse that he got at the hands of the Black family. And it makes this all make so much more sense. Yeah. 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 And and Sirius has that line initially about Creature saying, you'd be surprised what Creature can manage when he wants to. And I thought (laughs) that to also be very foretelling for what's to come later on in this book. Yeah. Yep. Also makes me kind of frustrated with Sirius because I'm like, so you know what he's capable of. (laughs) And you still treat him this way. And you did it anyway. Mm. Yep. So while they're going through cleaning the house, there's a mention of a boggart. And they say, oh, well, Mad-Eye can take a look and just make sure that that's actually what it is, because who knows? It could be something a little bit more sinister. And I remember there was always a lot of debate as to whether or not Moody could see the boggart in its true form, or if it was going to just take up the shape of what he feared the most. Hmm. And I tried looking and seeing if J.K. Rowling ever answered this, but I do remember there was a lot of discussion around this for a while, and I don't know that we ever got an answer. So I'm curious as to what you all think. I mean, his eye can see through the back of his head and he can see through closed doors, right? Yeah. So maybe he has the special ability to see like obscured magic. Kind of like I think about in Half-Blood Prince when Harry and Dumbledore go to the cave and Dumbledore is able to sense magic. Yeah. Just by like touching the walls and things of the cave. And so I wonder if there's something that's maybe a little more like deeply ingrained with Moody because of the abilities he has with that eye. Yeah, I would think that he is able to see the Boggart as well. Because if he can see... If he can actually look through walls and drawers and whatnot, he should be able to see it in its like neutral state, so to speak. Because it hasn't seen him seeing it yet. <laughs> right, exactly. I wonder what a bogger looks like in its natural state. Didn't we kind of get a sense of this in the movies? Like when it was transitioning? I mean... I'm just kind of picturing like a fuzzball type of thing that's floating yeah, I guess I just wonder if that was a movieism. Yeah. Jim K, um, give us an illustration. We must know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Book five coming up. Boggarts. You're you're right, Laura. It probably was a movieism. Yeah. I, I mean, I would almost imagine a like just like Moody looking up through the ceiling and into the cupboard and just seeing a this glow or this aura and he's just able to identify that as being a boggart. Mm-hmm. Harry also overhears Kingsley uh, when he shows up at Grimmauld Place, and he hears him say, Hestia's just relieved me, so she's got Moody's cloak now, thought I'd leave a report for Dumbledore. I felt like this was just enough information for us to get an understanding that the Order are clearly taking turns at doing something, and it's obviously very important if a member of the Order requires an invisibility cloak to be able to do it. Yeah. And 
Kingsley's also leaving a report for Dumbledore, so they clearly need to be filling him in on what's going on. And it's not just taking turns watching Harry, which is what at the beginning they thought he was doing, because Harry's now here, so they're obviously also watching something else. Clearly, it's more important than Harry yeah. if they're sending Hestia and, and Kingsley to guard it. Well, maybe it's related it. to protecting Harry. Could it be sneaking through the ministry, trying to get a... Because we they were reviewing those floor plans, right, in the previous chapter or two. Could they be trying to get a better idea of how the Department of Mysteries is laid out? Or they're trying to figure out where Voldemort's followers are at the moment. I think they might be standing guard at the Hall of Prophecies. Mm. Because that's isn't that what Mr. Weasley is doing later in the book when Harry has the dream? Mm. Sorry, spoiler <laughs> alert. Spoilers. <laughs> we should have like a little button. Oh, wait, hold on. I got something for a spoiler alert. <laughs> what is that, Micah? Laura, did, did you hear about that? No. So... Really quick story. When I was at LeakyCon, uh, Eric gave me this gift that apparently a listener sent in over a year ago, and he's just now getting to me. Um, <laughs> so that aside, it's actually a screaming goat. Ooh. And what you do is you just push down on the goat. It's just standing on a little pedestal, and it makes this noise when you do it. Is but that it's from- really? The goats that yell like people video? Yeah, I think it is. It sounds just like that video. I, I think so. It's really cool. I enjoy it a lot. He I, enjoys I, it a lot. <laughs> it's great. So if you were the listener that sent it, please let me know. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we can use that as our spoiler alert sound from sure. now on. Or any time the, the portrait screams, uh, his his mother, he can just keep oh, there you pushing go. it oh, there over you. and over again. <laughs> there you go. She's... She screamed a few yep. times in this chapter, thanks to <laughs> uh, Mundungus. Yeah, the doorbell. Laura, that makes sense, though. Right answer, Laura. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Well, speaking of screaming goats, I uh, wanted to talk about the Weasley <laughs> twins. Nothing related to them. But uh, yeah, I I guess as an adult going back and reading this book, uh, I was just really impressed by their business savvy. And and they yeah. Why can't we do something like this? Yeah, and they're just on the ball. Even in this chapter, you know, they're stuffing things into their pockets and and looking to test things out. Uh, they're they're actually serving as their own test subjects, which you know they they tell Harry about. Uh, they're putting the Triwizard winnings that Harry won last year to to good use. We learn that they're running a mail order business and. Uh, this just kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with uh, what Chris Rankin was saying about Percy. You really get to see how smart the Weasley twins are. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they often get enough credit for how smart they are to be able to do a lot of what they're doing. Uh, I think it takes a lot of advanced magic to make a lot of the things that they're creating. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to give them their kudos. And they're just so handy. And of course, credit to J.K. Rowling for coming up with these types of things. It's like <laughs> like the skiving snack boxes are so genius. But I was thinking they would absolutely be abused by muggle students. Muggle students would be using them every day. Would Hogwarts kids not? I mean, do we think Fred and George care? <laughs> well, I just... But if... If people are using them every day, then they're going to get banned from Hogwarts, probably. They're going to find out what's going on at some point, and then it's a wasted product. Mm-hmm. But this this is intentional, though, 
writing, obviously, on the part of J.K. Rowling, because it just becomes another thing that Umbridge is able to ban in this this year at Hogwarts. And mm-hmm. I think that you know, if Dumbledore is headmaster, I think he lets it slide. <laughs> you know, I I don't I don't really see him cracking down too hard on Fred and George for for this side business. No, he probably gets a kick out of all these things. He just won't admit it. I liked your your point in the document, though, Andrew, that maybe it's the price. Maybe they're really expensive. So you got to like save yeah. it and wait for a time that's like really worth doing this. And speaking of money, and Micah, you said adult Micah is very impressed by the Weasley twins. Adult Andrew is sad that Harry didn't negotiate partial ownership of the joke shop before handing the money over. He could have gotten a lot of money out of, out of this endeavor. <laughs> I'm thinking like Shark Tank. You guys watch that show? Yeah, but isn't Harry already pretty well off? Yeah. Yeah, but 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 greed. <laughs> <laughs> he would just he would just reinvest. No. Like, well, I mean, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't really be worth it to him. I don't think. I just think it should have been like Shark Tank on ABC when the sharks were like, "I'll give you a hundred thousand galleons for ten percent of the business," and then Harry wouldn't have needed to become an oar. After Hogwarts, he could have just continued to uh, make money, passive income (laughs) from Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. So I figure we could talk a little bit more about Creature because he makes a couple of appearances in this chapter. He has some nice things to say about Molly. (laughs) Laura, I don't know if you want to read this, but apparently he's he's quite – his his sense of smell is very good based on Mm -hmm. his initial comments about her. Yeah, so he says of Molly, smells like a drain and a criminal to boot, but she's no better. (laughs) Nasty old blood trader with her brats messing up my mistress's house. Oh, my poor mistress, if she knew, if she knew the scum they've let in her house, what she would say to old creature. (laughs) Oh, the shame of it, mudbloods and werewolves and traitors and thieves. Poor old creature, what can he do? (laughs) Laura, you have to read every creature line from now <laughs> until will, the end I of the will. book. I, I, I kind of love creature. <laughs> oh, my poor mistress. Creature's just so mean. And i he's doing it right in front of Sirius. And I'm wondering why Sirius doesn't say, hey, um, you know, issue a new command. Thou shall not insult mudbloods or say the word mudbloods. Right. Do something that, that would prevent him from saying those types of yeah. things. But. I wonder if he would listen. Because he thinks he's, he has to. Well, he thinks he's saying them in his own head. That's what they keep talking about. Is like he doesn't really even realize he's saying them out loud. <sighs> so if he he already thinks he's being polite externally, so I don't know if it would do anything. Hmm. And I also wonder if house elves even have if they understand the concept of like private thoughts, because even Dobby in book two, when he was bad mouthing the Malfoys, it sort of came out, and then he would start you know beating himself yeah for what he said and so i wonder if this concept of like internalized thoughts is something that even occurs to them that they're allowed that level of privacy that's very interesting yeah that's that's an interesting point maybe Sirius could have asked him delete the word mudblood from your vocabulary don't even think that word like a computer yes yes (laughs) creatures are robot right i don't know it makes me think about I don't know if any anybody here has like maybe an older relative who uses language that is not like 2019 <laughs> right. approved. 
And I think a lot of times when people are dealing with family members like that, they kind of default to the state of like, we're not going to change anything about this person. So do I even want to have that fight? That's true. That's true. That's a great point. Creature is kind of like the uh, dirty old grandmother (laughs) that has no filter. Right. Nonetheless, we've been told that the uh, wizards can tell their house elves what to and not to do. And it's just hard to watch this knowing that Sirius creature's master is right there. I, I see the point about he doesn't even realize that he's saying these things out loud, but there's got to be something you could do. Mudblood is offensive to Hermione and everybody else. It's not healthy for a child like her to hear it. I don't even think Sirius wants to be creature's yeah. master though. Yeah. So I don't even think he's in that mentality of like telling Creature what to do because he doesn't want to have to deal with him in the first place. Mm. And he even says that he would be happy to free Creature, but he knows too much about the Order, which to me stood out as another example of Dumbledore overlooking Grimmauld Place as the safe haven for the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, or they should have let him go like before they started talking about stuff there. You know, like when they were checking yeah. it out, like one person... Just being like, oh, there's a house elf here. He might be a liability. Let's uh, release him and then we can move it. I wonder how that would have worked, though, because the only person who could release him would be Sirius, right? Ostensibly, yeah. And And then if he's freed, then he's free to go tell whoever he wants. Oh, hey, by the way, I saw Sirius Black. (laughs) He freed me. Mm. Or he'd just be walking around town just being like, Sirius, Sirius. (laughs) You were so annoying last week out loud without anybody prompting him. He also makes a bunch of statements about the relationship between Mrs. Black and Sirius. And Sirius later on in the chapter tells Harry about how he used to go to Harry's grandparents when he would run away from his own home. Yeah, And it it just shows you that Sirius has had a a rough upbringing. He really is not aligned with his family much in any way, aside from a few cousins that we'll learn about a little bit later on. But for the most part, it seems like he did not get along with his parents. He did not get along with his brother, as far as we know. It's kind of a sad story. Yeah. Especially knowing what we know about Regulus. That Sirius doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and even when they're going through the, the tapestry and looking at all of the names of the family members, uh, he says about Regulus, I doubt he was ever important enough to be killed by Voldemort in person. Mm. From what I found out after he died, he got in so far, then panicked about what he was being asked to do and tried to back out. And while there is some truth to that, yeah. Sirius doesn't realize the level of bravery that his brother demonstrated in order to try to destroy a Horcrux. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something else that I thought was really interesting when looking at the family tree was Harry asked Sirius if his parents had been Death Eaters. And Sirius said something along the lines of like, oh, no, they definitely weren't. But they sure thought Voldemort had the right idea. A lot of people thought that. Until it became clear, like, a lot of the horrific things that he was carrying out. And at that point, it was too late. And I thought that was a really interesting commentary on the rise of, like, totalitarianism. Yeah. 
in sort of like that passive acceptance um, that people have historically had in the face of tyrannical leaders. Yeah, well, it told me, totally made me think of Crimes of Grindelwald. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like in the same mm-hmm. way, it was everyone's like, oh, yeah, I can get behind this because he hasn't started doing crazy, terrible stuff yet. Like, yeah, that they deem as horrific. And by then, they're kind of already too into the ideology and might not want to admit that they're wrong. Yeah, totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I think a really cool Crimes of Grindelwald connection here is the always pure. I don't speak French, so I couldn't pronounce this correctly, but the 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 mm-hmm. black family motto being in French and knowing what we know about like the Lestrange family. Yes. It just it makes me wonder if we're going to see any connections to the Black family. I think so. Certainly possible. Yeah. I I don't see why not. I mean, Bellatrix marries into the strange family. Mm -hmm. And Rowling's already got that tree together, so it won't be hard (laughs) for her to find a connection somewhere. I was going to say, we already got family trees going on. Both of them. (laughs) What is the French pronunciation, Micah? We've been waiting. It's uh, toujours pure. Oh, that's easy. Toujours pure. It's easy, yeah. Okay. Also, the answer to this week's quizage quizage question. Yeah. Um, but I also think Malfoy could potentially be a, a French surname as well. Mm. I think so, too. Yeah. So in the scene, Harry, I think, further falls in love with Sirius and a deeper connection between them grows because Harry finds out that when Sirius escaped Grimwald Place, he went to James's. And Harry absolutely loves hearing that because Harry, too, wants to run away from home, in this case, Privet Drive, and live with Ron or Hermione or just get back to Hogwarts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sirius, too, despises the home that he has grown up in. So Harry just has found yet another reason to love Sirius so much. And you just add that on top of everything else, and it makes the end of this book all the more painful for Harry and the reader. Yeah, and, and Micah, to your previous point about Malfoy, um, that surname, if you tease it apart, it's part Latin and part French. But when you do that, it means bad faith. Hmm. Hmm. So. So yeah, well, definitely right. a French connection there. <laughs> yeah, and I think Harry is very shocked to learn that all these pure blood families are are interrelated, and. Mm-hmm. Black Sirius makes the point that, well, if you're looking to keep the bloodlines pure, there's there's only really one way to do that. So uh a lot of these families, including the Weasleys, are are you know related to each other. And Sirius points out that Tonks is his cousin and and he's related to uh the Lestranges and the Malfoys as well. And uh we get a little bit more of character history um, on Tonks, just learning about her mother and the fact that her mother married a muggle and uh, that for that, I believe she was burned off the black family tree as mm-hmm. was serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, reading something like this definitely is jarring. And I think we can see why it's jarring for Harry because you're like, but wait, if you're all related, then... <laughs> There's some like weird chromosomal stuff at play here. But the interesting thing is that in our in the world and in many of our cultures, this was not uncommon up until relatively recently. I mean, even if you look at European royal families. Oh, yeah. They're 
all related to each other. Like everybody w- is descended from Queen Victoria. <laughs> so it's this is like a pretty, pretty common thing with, you know, well to do families, you know. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and what about this idea of being an outcast or being shunned from your family for whether it's marrying somebody who is not like you or for kind of going against the status quo of the family and deciding that they didn't want to have anything to do with your way of thinking. I think it's, it's still even very relevant to to today's society. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's awful. It's sad. And Andrew, you said the, when you were saying like this is one of those things that a good character hates but fans love is is this oh just going through the family tree or so we were speaking a few months ago about the dark mark and we had a little debate about why do people get the dark mark as a tattoo or buy clothing with the dark mark on it and whatnot here's another thing the black family tree that people absolutely love and it's kind of an awful (laughs) black family heirloom we're we're looking at this family of purebloods and we're looking at this family tree where if somebody defects, they are burned out of the family tree. And people love this thing. I mean, Mina Lima just turned it into wallpaper that you can buy for $100 a roll. <laughs> people are going to decorate their whole house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> or you can buy the graphic art, artwork, you know, and uh, it's featured in a ton of places. It's just everybody loves this family tree just because of how beautiful it is. And yet it's so bad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that just goes back to the discussion we had about this is fiction, and it's important to be able to draw the connections between these books and the real world instances that have inspired them. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's also important to be able to reconcile fiction from reality. Yeah. So I don't think that it kind of goes back to the discussion where it was like, I don't think that people who have like dark mark tattoos even are like saying yeah i'm all about murder <laughs> right like, I, don't, I don't think that's what that means right they like how it looks mm-hmm. they like they like having an emo side to them a dark side to them hey i have an emo side to me so i understand i know when are you getting a dark mark <laughs> or black family tree wallpaper not. oh you're not okay. i would not i would be more likely to get the deathly hallows mm. than fair that. fair and then um at towards the end of this chapter, Harry's thinking about his hearing and he's like, oh, gosh, what if I have to go live at Privet Drive forever? If I'm kicked out of Hogwarts, I don't want to do that. Sirius, can I come live with you? And Sirius doesn't give Harry a firm yes. He doesn't really give him any answer. And I thought that was kind of terrible because Harry is really down in the dumps right now. He is dreading the hearing and he needs some support right now. He's not getting it from Dumbledore. He's looking to the next best guy, Sirius, who he sees as a father figure. He just bonded with him over this story of running off to James's. And he's like, can I stay with you? And Sirius is just like, mm. well, <laughs> why couldn't have Sirius just said, yeah, you can just to make him feel a little better? Well, I don't think Sirius wants to tell Harry a lie. Because what if this hearing turns out badly and then Harry has to go back to Privet Drive at least once a year? to seal his protection. So I think this is actually a moment of serious exercising some restraint 
that's maybe not characteristic of him at other points in this book. But he still could have gone back to Privet Drive once a year while living at Grimald Place just to check in with the Dursleys. Hey, you guys, brought you uh, some Christmas gifts. Vernon, got you a birthday gift. How you doing? Good to see you. Okay, bye. Yeah. Do we think it'd be that easy? Like, if the Dursleys thought he was living with his godfather, would they open their door willingly to him? Just to step in for an afternoon, have some tea, some foreign tea. (laughs) Do you think they would (laughs) offer him anything? Harry could bring the foreign tea. (laughs) There you go. Well, also, we learned that from Sirius, Grimmauld Place is every security measure known to wizard kind. It's unplottable. And Dumbledore added his own protection to it. So what place is safer? Private Drive? I don't know. Right. Could have saved Moody's life if they would have just went to Grimmauld Place. And Sirius also said, I am sure that this hearing is going to go in your favor tomorrow. So just lie anyway. Yes, you can come stay with just make me. Make him feel good. Yes, that's that's all I'm asking for. Make poor Harry feel good in this moment. Mm. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want Harry to set the bar too low. A little bit of anxiety is okay in situations like this. That little bit of anxiety is what pushes you to perform, right? And so if Harry was going into this thinking like, oh, well, worst case scenario, I still get to be part of the wizarding world, <laughs> that might impact how he behaves during this hearing so i think it's probably a good thing that sirius didn't dangle the carrot of like you can come live with me yeah we can basically just be bachelors together (laughs) there's a very 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 brief mention of a heavy locket that none of them could open when they are cleaning out one of the rooms at grimold place and nobody paid it any attention, and except for Creature. Creature paid it a lot of attention, but uh, a very quick mention of a Horcrux, which we'll find out more about later on in Half-Blood Prince. But yeah, I mean, laying the groundwork early, J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. I know. It's cool. I wonder if handling a Horcrux is like radiation poisoning, like... <laughs> They don't know that this thing is radioactive and they're all handling it. Like, did they all get like some slight amount of like Horcrux poisoning mm. if they touch this? Well, being around it, you feel different, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah. But it may take longer than like a second because I and they had to like wear it for a little while before they start feeling it. That's true. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the ring. <laughs> yeah. You just put it on once, it's not going to affect you. But if you keep having it around, it's going to get worse and worse. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps up the chapter. The The only other thing that we had here was that Harry learns that Dumbledore came by in the middle of the night and decided once again not to say anything to him, especially at a moment when he could have really needed him. Right. Yeah. You know, he has his hearing tomorrow and... Dumbledore, nowhere to be found. What, what, I, you know, at this point, why would anybody even say the name Dumbledore to Harry? Like, <laughs> don't even mention the fact that he was here. Yeah. <laughs> so rude. And boy, for the reader, that's a punch to the gut as well, right? I still remember feeling really down, knowing that Harry was let down by Dumbledore once again. Yeah, we even saw McGonagall briefly in this chapter. Yeah, in muggle clothes. <laughs> Um, But I guess that makes his appearance 
at the hearing all the sweeter. Mm -hmm. So worth it for the temporary amount of pain that we and Harry go through? I guess so. It it just kind of ends the chapter on a down note, knowing that he has this hearing coming up that's going to be a really important event to him. He's already extremely anxious about it, as we've mentioned. And we find out that Dumbledore stopped by and didn't bother to even talk to Harry. Yeah. Hey, good luck tomorrow. Hey, you got this, champ. Hey, (laughs) we'll go party after the hearing so you have something to look forward to. (laughs) I'm going to sit you down and tell you everything after the hearing. (laughs) Right. So that kind of wraps up this chapter. It's, uh, It's one, I think, that's loaded with a lot of different nuggets a lot of different little pieces of information especially with the black family tapestry and then the horcrux and there's a lot of foreshadowing yeah do you think jk rowling was trying to make people pay attention to the locket by calling it heavy (sighs) i I feel like there was a little hint there it's not just any locket it's a heavy one heavy with importance (laughs) <laughs> it's got a piece of somebody's soul in it. Yeah. <laughs> Super heavy. That weighs 20 pounds at least. How much does a part of a soul weigh, I wonder? I think it depends on the substance of the soul. <laughs> mm. So Voldemort's soul? I think it's probably... Pretty light. <laughs> you think so? I think like, Mundungus Fletcher would have a very light soul. Maybe Percy, too. I don't know, but I think there was a little clue there, but calling it heavy, it just it kind of stands out. Yep. But at this point, as a reader, we have really no clue as to yeah. the fact that Voldemort created Horcruxes. Mm-hmm. And this is so brilliant because over the last few chapters, we've seen so much crap like this. I mean, this is literally <laughs> like an episode of Hoarders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These hippies, they've got everything. Totally. A heavy locket. Who cares? Not a big deal. <laughs> All right. So the Umbridge suck count remains unchanged at three. This toll will skyrocket next chapter, yep. though. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't been moving. Oh, I think we're getting Laura, there. what threads did you find? So there were a few in this one, um, which is actually pretty cool because at first glance, this chapter kind of comes across as a pacing chapter. But knowing what all we know, J.K. Rowling actually set up a lot in this chapter. So a really fun thread and Micah I think you noticed that too is Buckbeak. Buckbeak was introduced in chapter 6 of Prisoner of Azkaban Talons and Tea Leaves. What? And in chapter 6 of Order of the Phoenix, this chapter we learn that he is in Sirius's room. So we're introduced to him both times in the 6th chapter, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um we also see this continuing theme of Sirius as a prisoner. Throughout Prisoner of Azkaban, he, of course, escaped Azkaban, but he had to live his life in his animagus form as a dog. And now he's having to live his life uh, imprisoned in the family home that he never wanted to come back to. Mm. Um, something else that I think is a, it's an interesting connecting the thread, but it it's also a bit of a contrast. In Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry has pretty easy access to Dumbledore. Whereas in Order of the Phoenix, he does not. But in Prisoner of Azkaban, he has limited access to Sirius. And in Order of the Phoenix, he has almost unlimited access to Sirius. So Sirius and Dumbledore's roles kind of flip here between the books, Hmm. which is pretty cool. And this goes along with um, 
Dumbledore being really open with Harry and Prisoner of Azkaban and Harry being in a place where he's willing to accept pretty much anything Dumbledore tells him. Now that Dumbledore is limiting access, Harry is questioning him like hardcore. Um, also, just like a little fun thing, Draco is pretty prominent in Chapter 6 of Prisoner of Azkaban because this is the chapter where um, he's attacked by Buckbeak. And in Chapter 6 of Order of the Phoenix, we learn that he's related to Sirius, hmm. who is also storing Buckbeak in his house. Yeah. <laughs> in the bedroom. <laughs> where he definitely doesn't fit. It's like a orca whale at sea world type of situation i know very poor treatment <laughs> well and it's like imagine all the poop oh well we have evanesco well for they that. know that they have that <laughs> i was just saying yeah we, they just we just saw that uh that spell yeah. i wonder if he makes creature clean it up oh <laughs> too mean too far i mean i wouldn't be, i wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if he did yeah stop talking shit start cleaning up shit <laughs> time now for mvp poor of, creature of the week uh, i'm gonna give it to the tapestry for giving harry what sirius never could his mm. backstory <laughs> I- i'm surprised it just took this long to come out but that's one reason that i love this chapter hearing about all these uh connections this pureblood family and its history i'm gonna give my mvp to creature for saving the locket Horcrux. We don't know yet that he's done it, but we will very far down the line. So, but yeah. Good job future. from future Micah. Yeah, except for the part where he lets Mundungus steal it, but we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that. Um, I said Hermione because clearly if everyone just listened to her, a lot less bad um, beep would happen. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Like always. Um, I gave mine to Marie Kondo, um, <laughs> because I, I just literally couldn't not think about that when I was watching it. I even watched it recently and it's just the same. They were doing the same thing, but in the magical world, but not just because it's helping Sirius's mental health, I think to throw a lot of the stuff away, but also because, um, at the end it's saying, you know, Harry mind was off the, his impending doom, so much during all the cleaning because he was so busy that it allowed him to have fun for the first time all summer. Yeah. And so, you know, even though, you know, they were doing crazy gross cleaning and things were trying to attack them and hurt them and the robes trying to strangle Ron, which I found hilarious. Um, But it's, you know, overall it allowed him this cleaning spree um, helped take his mind off all of his sort of (laughs) trauma from the previous year and impending possible terribleness now i'm just picturing sirius sitting in buckbeak's room watching netflix yeah scrolling through oh tidying up with marie kondo this looks like a good show right i need to i need to clean my house i could watch this (laughs) because she would just be so cute coming there like being all adorable telling them to love the mess i love mess too marie yeah (laughs) he's so cute (laughs) now let's rename the chapter Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 6, Pure Bloods Only. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 6, The Ramblings of a Demented House Elf. Aww. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 6, The Nazi Wizard House. (laughs) (laughs) Harry Potter, Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 6, The Doorbell. The Doorbell. (laughs) Which was mentioned, yeah, right? It was mentioned like a hundred times. 
in the last like two <laughs> chapters. And it was always important stuff going on that Harry isn't partial to. So I felt like he just kept getting it. I noticed reminded it. I, about I it. noticed that the word undertone was used three times in this chapter as well. It was like J.K. Rowling just yeah. discovered that word and really wanted to use it. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't uh, control find for that word <laughs> in this chapter. Ah. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, send it on in via MuggleCast.com. There's a contact form there or email MuggleCast at gmail.com or call us 1-920-3-MUGGLE. That's 1-920-368-4453. Or if you really want to be on the cutting edge, you can send us a voice memo. Just record it on your phone and then send it to MuggleCast at gmail.com. We've actually gotten a few over the past week. It's so cool. It's kind of surreal to hear our listeners in such high quality. So... Thank you to everybody. No matter how you contact us, we really appreciate it. It's really great to hear from you because this is a very one-way street. When we're recording, we don't hear back from you instantly. So it's it's really nice to hear the feedback throughout the week. Time now for some quizage. Last week's question was, The Black Family Tapestry reads The Most Noble and Ancient House of Black. But what is written directly beneath that line? It was always pure. Or what, Micah? Toujours pure. Mm. Yeah, see, it's not easy, right? That's why I passed it to you. Thanks. This week's winners included Mere Muggle 13, Jason King, I won't say his Twitter handle, Buff Daddy 1969, not entirely appropriate for the show, <laughs> and Bookworm 62442. And Micah, what is this week's quizage question? This week's quizage question is at what time? Does Harry wake up for his ministry hearing? Okay. So you can tweet Just, us and uh, tweet us the answer and use the yeah. hashtag quizage. Thanks to everybody who participates. Twitter.com slash MuggleCast. Be sure to follow us there if you have Twitter. You can also follow us on Facebook, username MuggleCast, and Instagram, also username MuggleCast. Oh, and don't forget our LinkedIn. Right, Micah? That's right. We would also appreciate it's exciting. <laughs> it's going great. <laughs> we would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can pledge today and you will receive instant access to tons of benefits. We just hosted a Slug Club meetup prior to this week's episode. Micah and I hung out with a bunch of our listeners for about a half hour. Just uh talked Harry Potter, talked about our new Goblet of Fire Illustrated editions, talked about where everybody was living, stuff like that. Good times. It's fun to hang out with the listeners face-to-face. You can also... You will also have access to Ad-Free MuggleCast, our exclusive Facebook group where there's always a lot going on. We also have a feature called the Links Line where once a month you will be able to answer a question that we post on Patreon and we might read your answer on the air. You also get a physical gift every year. You also get bonus MuggleCasts. You get so, so much. Truly, so, so much. And if you pledge at and the even Slug the Club... opportunity to co-host the show? Yeah, I was oh, sorry. just getting to that. If you, okay. <laughs> if you pledge at the Slug Club level, you can be like Emily and join us on the show at some point. Thank you so much, Emily. I hope Yay. you've had a good time today. Yeah, it's been awesome. So fun. Micah, Laura... And Emily, it's hard to believe, but we've had close to 80 people co-host the show with us now. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. The, the time has flown. It really has. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, really proud of that. And I know it's a benefit that people really enjoy. So very happy that we get to do that. 
So again, patreon.com slash mugglecast. We really appreciate your support. If you do listen, by the way, and you're not subscribed, please do that. Just hit that subscribe button no matter what podcasting app you use. And if you use iTunes, we would really appreciate a review. Just a quick, honest review. We would appreciate that because it helps new people discover the show. All right, that does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Emily. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. Bye.